over to your, your right, my left. See that table right there full of food? That's what Faith does. Faith feeds 25 families for Thanksgiving. Our little church here, right? 25 people. We've managed to gather enough food so they can have a Thanksgiving dinner. Take that little act of faith and multiply it. Think about what God can do when we have a little faith, right? When we have faith in God and do what He asks us to do, look what He's capable of. Hey, we have done this for how many years now? 17 years. Our tiny little church, the, the, you, you guys, have managed to feed 25 or more families every year for Thanksgiving. That is something to be proud of because it takes faith to do that. It takes faith, it takes a hope in God to give, right? Do it every day. Pray about it. Pray about what God wants you to give. Read your Bible. Understand that He commands us to give to our church so that the church can give back to the community and continue to do the works that He has set before us. Right? Yes. It's about keeping the lights on. It's about keeping the roof over our head. It's about blah, blah, blah. Right? A pastor friend of mine once said, take dollar bills to pay the bills. We get that. But if we give out of faith, if the church leadership acts out of faith, all of that takes care of itself. Right? Your giving continues to do stuff like that. It continues to give donuts to the first responders. It continues to provide Christmas for children who can't otherwise have a Christmas. Right? That's what your giving does. That's what your faith does. And that's why you need to tithe an offer. Here at Passion Community Church, we have several ways that you can do that. You can give at the Tithing Well online. Tithing Well online, please look at me. You can give at the Tithing Well. Uh, you can give online at passioncommunitychurch.com backslash give where you can set it up as a one-time offering. You can set it up as reoccurring. However you want to do it, pray about it and give what God tells you to give. Amen? Let's join me in prayer. Father, thank you. Father, the, 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 the amount of faith that we have sometimes is, is quite honestly disappointing. But we know that you take that faith, however big, small it is, and you multiply it. And you do stuff like give us the ability to feed 25 families for Thanksgiving that may otherwise not have a Thanksgiving. You give us the ability to give a Christmas. You give us the ability to buy dozens of donuts and just bless people with them, Father God. And we're so thankful for that. Father, we ask that you take the tithes and offerings that this congregation gives, and we ask that you multiply them. Father, we ask that you allow us to continue to do the works that you've set before us, and that you bless them in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. Yeah, kids, uh, kids are dismissed. You can go back to children's church. Mike? Is there heading out? I just want to say, uh, again, it is awesome. I, I agree, uh, Jay, with everything you said. It's amazing to look over there and see uh, these meals that have been prepared and, and or, well, haven't been prepared yet, but we've been bringing them together so that they can be prepared. It's awesome to be able to 
I help these families out in need and just to be able to do that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of uh, what you guys have done uh, to donate and uh, volunteer to help us pack and deliver these bags. This is fantastic. Having said that, uh, it is almost Christmas time. Again, it's not, we got to get through Thanksgiving first. You know, I did see the, the meme where uh, the turkey setting on top of Sienna says, uh, this is my time, fat boy, you're December, right? Um, understand that, but uh, again, this year we will be doing uh, an outreach uh, called uh, Christmas for Our Town. Um, what we've done is, in the past uh, three years, we've actually collected toys for families in need and have the mom and dad come to the school and they actually get to shop or pick up toys for their kids. Uh, the reason why we do this instead of just wrapping the gifts and giving them out is because we want the parents to be involved in this action. And so uh, it helps the parents feel like they are picking something out for their kids and we love to just have an opportunity to help them. So we have 31 families that will be helping out this year, not just us alone as our church, but uh, Rich Town United Methodist, uh, the Congregational Church, and uh, Passion Community Church will be together doing this. And so out on the uh, table out there we have... Uh, a tree with some tags on it. They have specific items on those tags. Uh, what we need to do is if you'd like to grab a tag and you'd like to perk, uh, perk, you'd like to pick up that gift, uh, that would be fantastic. But we need you, if you grab a tag, to make sure that you get that because that is a specific toy that a child has asked for and so we want to make sure that they're there. So they're out on the table. We have until December 10th to uh, bring those gifts and items in because on December 11th will be the day that uh, they're shopping. We only have a couple weeks here to do that. So if you're able to grab a, a tag or two and uh, take them with you and uh, make sure you bring those back before December uh, 10th. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 9. I've enjoyed this uh, sermon series, and I've enjoyed rereading Nehemiah and uh, just taking a look at Nehemiah. You know, the entire book of Nehemiah has thus far been about rebuilding the gates and the walls around Jerusalem. The walls and the gates were completely torn down, and they're completely uh, destroyed. And so Nehemiah again gets the call from the Lord to go before his king and ask his king who he was a cupbearer. And as you know, cupbearer is those that are really close to the king. They taste all the food and drink before the king uh, does those things and eats and drinks to make sure that the food or drink is not poisoned. Nehemiah has favor with God and has favor with the king. And so the king allows Nehemiah to go. And we looked at that whole idea of favor and what it means to be called. We also looked at how Nehemiah handled this whole entire situation before going to the king. He spends uh, uh, an amount of time in prayer before the Lord, asking the Lord to lead and guide him. And then the king shows much favor to Nehemiah by saying, not only can you go, but we're going to send you with the supplies you need and also the security to get past the uh, regions that you'll be traveling through. We also looked at Nehemiah and we looked at how the gates represented something if you've never read Nehemiah chapter 4, where Nehemiah walks around the walls and he specifically calls out each gate, it's real important for us to understand that Nehemiah was doing that on purpose because each gate has a purpose and a meaning to the city. And I also believe that those gates are gates that we should look at for our own life. 
and to say, are those something we need to rebuild as well? And then, of course, last week we looked at the opposition that we face. No good goes unpunished. I know that's not the way it says, right? But that is what it seems like when it comes to God, or when it comes to doing something for the Lord. When we work for the Lord, Satan and the devil is going to be at our heels trying to stop us from doing those things. And so those good things that Nehemiah was doing was being faced by opposition of the ites, as we call them, the, the uh, areas surrounding Jerusalem where they were coming in to uh, attack them and wanting, wanted Jerusalem to stay in its place. Today we will see that the people, not just the walls, are being rebuilt though. The first opportunity in Nehemiah where we actually see that the wall is now completed. It took them 52 days to rebuild this wall. Now, I have to say this is an amazing feat. No one ever considered that the walls and the gates of, of Jerusalem could re be rebuilt in 52 days. In fact, some uh, historians believe that even today with the construction uh, materials that we have and the, the uh, trucks and, and all of the large equipment that we have today, that it would take over a year to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. But somehow the people were able to come together and finish this with God's power in 52 days. This is an amazing feat. God has made a way through the opposition. God has made a way through all of these troubles that face them, but God made a way. God made a way for them to complete this wall. And he completed that wall in record time. The truth of the matter is that God will make a way in our life. And I'm going to take just a side note here before we jump into scripture. God makes a way in all of our lives if we just allow him to. It may not always look like the way that we want God to work. A lot of times we look and we stand before the Lord and we say, Lord, will you let this happen because I have this perfect vision of how my life should go the way that I want it to go. And so we pray and we ask God, God, make a way. Make a way for me to see this completed. Make a way for this to happen. Make a way for these things that I have in my mind to happen. And then God comes in and he does something completely different that has nothing to do with what you think it should have been, and then we look and say, God, why didn't you answer my prayers? Well, he has made a way. It's just not in the way that you thought it was going to be. Jerusalem, present-day Jerusalem, and he, uh, uh, not present-day, but a few uh, thousand years later when Jesus was born, the, the Israelite people thought Jesus would be coming on a white horse to reign over the city and to take control over Rome and press in. They were looking for a soldier. They were looking for a king. They were looking for someone to come in and do this. But instead, a babe in a manger was born. God made a way. It just wasn't in the way that we all thought it was going to God makes a way in all of our lives. We just have to ask and seek his way and to know what journey he wants us to do. He wants us to walk this path to rebuilding not only the walls around our cities but and rebuilding our city, but he also wants us to walk the path of rebuilding our own lives. But now the wall is built. The people are completed. Their job is complete. Their job of what they have been working so hard now for 52 days, working every single day, not only with rebuilding the wall, but with a hand upon the sword to keep them from being attacked from the opposition that was coming against them. The history of the people showed that when the walls were torn down, they were tore down because they didn't follow God. But God didn't just leave them alone. God didn't just say, oh, here you go, the wall is built, and so now we're going to leave you alone. 
you can live your life. See, what has happened over the course of time, this has happened every human nature since Adam and Eve started this process. It has been all the time. God comes in. He blesses us. He gives us the, the freedom to choose, the freedom to do all of these things. He turns this beautiful thing for us, and then what do we do? We want the one thing that God says we can't have. We listen to the lies of the, of the serpent. We listen to the lies of the devil. And this has happened over the course of time. The Old Testament is story after story of this coming true. Where God blessed and accepted that blessing and then diluted the blessing, if you will. Perverted the blessing, if you will. Made it into something that it was never intended to be. And then God came down and punished the people and we started the process all over again. Over and over and over again, this process would come out to play with the Israelite people. I mean, just think about it. These are the same people. The wall was torn down because God gave them over to their sinful hearts and allowed their enemies to come in and destroy the walls. These are the very same people, by the way, that in their history, their moms and dads, their aunts and uncles, their grandmas and grandpas, saw the Red Sea parted. They saw manna falling from heaven when they didn't have anything to eat. When they, were, when they were in the desert and they were thirsty, they saw God, they saw a, a, a rock split open and water come forth from that spring. These are the same people that do that. But now we find that they had to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem because they were not following God. And so the Lord, I believe, the book of Nehemiah is not just about rebuilding the wall. It's not just about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. It's not just about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. It's about rebuilding the people. The Israelites, if you will. So they're led into the city, and now they have a choice. They're done. They're done building the walls. What do they do now? What's the next step? Their reaction to the walls being completed is an amazing story in its own right. We're going to jump into there as soon as we pray. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do in our lives, Lord. Father, we are on a journey much like the Israelites were on, constructing and trying to rebuild our city and to make a difference in our city for you, Father. And Lord, we do certainly have opposition in our life. We do certainly have things and people that come against the call that you have placed on our lives. And so we ask you for protection from that. We ask you for wisdom to keep our eyes open. But Father, more importantly today, we ask that you would change our hearts. Allow our hearts to be in tune with yours. Allow us to connect on a heart level to you, Father, because that is truly the only way that we can achieve in everything that we're called for. And so today, Lord, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 9, Father, I pray that your wisdom would just spring forth from the words into our hearts so that we can hear and learn and, and know how to respond and how to not only rebuild the walls, but rebuild our own lives, Father, for you. Help us today, Father, as we approach this. Lord, I pray that you would remove any hindrances from our minds, from our hearts that keep us from hearing from you today. Help us to be in with everything that we say and do. Lord, I pray my words would not be my own, but they truly be your words, and they would correct us all. Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. 
And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up. Uh, I must be offline. Robert, you're going to have to follow with me. Verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of, of it they made confession and worshipped their God. They worshipped their Lord their God. Now I want to ask you a question just for a moment. A, a side note for a second. A quarter of the day. What's a quarter of the day? Anyone know? 24 hours in a day, a quarter of that day would be what? Six. Right. So for six hours... Listen, we complain about a pastor who goes 30 minutes. These guys are going six hours. Come on now. Y'all are going to give me a break and let me preach for six hours? Anyone have anything to do with the rest of the day? Yeah, I know. Everyone's shaking their head. I'm out the door now. See ya. It's for six hours. They stood before and they worshiped the Lord their God. Six hours of worship. Corey, wouldn't you like to just be six hours of worship? Your boy. Listen, this past week... Um, <laughs> Corey's gone, no, I don't want to do six hours of worship music. This past week I was at a conference, and, and uh, you know, the co- the conference idea is kind of cool. But we, we sat there, we were in worship, and as we were in worship with uh, with everyone, I was singing. It was just about 125 people at this conference, and we're sitting here, and I'm singing so loud, and I can't hear myself. And everyone around us is singing as loud as I was. And you know, there's something about worshiping in a place where everyone around you is singing really loud. Now, I have to be honest with you. There is a person behind me that, well, quite wasn't maybe worthy of being on the worship team. They weren't on the worship team. They were in the crowd. Let's just say that their singing in tune wasn't always the best. And so I sat there and I listened to it. And at, at first, I'm like, oh, this feels good. I'm trying to, I, you know, I, I pride myself being married to a music teacher that I can sing a little bit in tune. So I pride myself in that. So I'm sitting there. But then I started realizing everything I was singing, because this person beside me was either tone deaf or just couldn't sing in tune, was clashing with, with the way I was singing. And I was oh, And, uh, thank you. And so I, um, as I sat there and as I talked, as I was singing, I'm singing as loud as I can, and everyone around me singing really loud, I began to realize that this is such a Regardless of whether you sing in tune or not, Regardless of how you sound when you sing worship, the reason why we worship to God is because we want to pour out our praise to Him. And I didn't care whether someone was in tune. I got to the place where I'm like, I don't care that that person's in tune. It's just awesome that they're singing this way. And they're singing out as loud as they can in this voice. Why? Because they wanted to worship God. And so the time frame to the Israelites when they're standing before Him for six hours wasn't a problem. It's a I'm not laying the guilt trip on all of you. Just... Don't think that I'm laying a guilt trip. But when you're with the Lord, and you're in the Lord, and you're worshiping with the Lord, time doesn't matter. Now you all might be looking at me going, Pastor, it matters when it's Sunday, and the Browns are playing the Detroit Lions, and possibly they might have a chance to win today. And I have stew in the crock pot, or I have a roast in the crock pot, or whatever it is that you're cooking. Yes, I understand that. But the truth of the matter is, is when we work, when we worship, I should say not work, when we worship the Lord and we pour out our heart to Him, time doesn't matter. So they spent a quarter of their hours in prayer 
and they read from the book of the law, it says, of the Lord their God. So not only did they worship for a quarter of the hour, not for six hours they, they worshiped, but for six hours they also read from the book of the law. That is the Bible. Just to make sure you understand, the book of the law at that time was their Bible. That's what they had. How many of us today can raise our hand and say, I spend at least six hours a day reading the Bible? I can't raise my hand that. But these people did this because they wanted to make a difference. They had come to this place where they were going to posture themselves for a rebuilding of their own lives. They came to a place that they said, it's more important for me to posture myself before the Lord and get in the right place with the Lord than it is to worry about how much time I'm spending or what I'm doing. I don't care about where I sound when I sing. I don't care about what I'm doing. I just want to be right before the Lord, and so therefore I'm going to posture myself before Him so He can do the rebuilding that He needs to do in my life. The very first step in the personal journey of rebuilding the people was for them to posture themselves before the Lord. To get in the right place. The sackcloth and ashes that they talk about, actually they talk about the sack, sackcloth and earth, the ESV says, but I believe the New Kingdom Version says the uh, sackcloth and ashes. And the, this idea of having sackcloth and ashes is not only, listen, back then when you went to church and you were serious about before, being before the Lord and you were mourning, you would wear the word. I mean, it was almost nothing. You wanted to bear your soul and maybe other things to the Lord so that you could get right with Him. And so you put yourself before Him and you rubbed ashes on your forehead as a way of mourning what has happened. You're mourning the loss. You're mourning the sin of your life. Not only does the sackcloth and ashes mean that you're mourning, but it also, when they come before the Lord and they set before Him and they're doing this, this is not that they're mourning the death of a loved one, although they would do that also in sackcloth and ashes. They were mourning their own sin. They were mourning what they did. This is the posture of rebuilding. See, the truth of the matter is, anytime we want to restart our life in Christ, anytime we want to see Christ be built up inside of us, it always starts with positioning ourselves in the right place with the Lord. Because what happens too often for us is that we position ourselves above the Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you and I need you when I'm sick. I need you when I need something. But otherwise, leave me alone and let me do my life the way I want to do it. That's the way most Christians work in America today. We learn to pray when we need something. We learn to pray when we're in need. But we don't pray and thank the Lord when we're doing all right. Happens to slip, it falls by the wayside to other things. And so these people coming before the Lord with the sackcloth and the ashes are preparing themselves by saying, I am a sinful person and I do not belong in any level that God is. I belong below the Lord, on the earth, on my knees, on my face before the Lord. And that's what they're doing. And they did this for hours and hours and hours. They were not just asking for forgiveness because they were caught. They sincerely wanted the change. The other thing we often do is that, you know, a lot of times in marriage counseling, I'll talk and someone will go, I apologize. Well, did you apologize because you were sincerely sorry or did you apologize because you got caught? There's a big difference. A lot of times we are easy to, we're, we're quick to say, forgive me. Why? Not because we're truly sorry. We're just asking for forgiveness because we got caught and we went the trouble to gone. But in reality, what happens is that these people know that they can't just ask for forgiveness because they were caught. They have to ask for forgiveness because they want something truly to happen inside of them. 
the, our sinful life that we go through today. If you are here today, we are all sinners, by the way. Let me, let me first, I should have started with this. The very first step of this is that every single one of us in this room is a sinner. None of us are better than anyone else. Your sin is not worse than mine, and my sin is not worse than yours. We're all sinners. God views us as sinners, and the only way we can overcome that is by being before him and asking him for forgiveness and be in our right mind and heart before him. We live in a sinful world. Our thoughts, our actions, and the things we do are often sinful. Too often, again, we ask for this change because we have been caught. You can ask my dear friend and brother Chaz here, uh, Pastor Chaz, and anyone else that deals with addiction, that many people don't really want to change their addiction. Many people, whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, uh, gossiping words, whatever it is, don't want to change their addiction because they just want to change their addiction because they got caught by someone, they got caught, they got arrested, and they're, they're forced into this addiction recovery program. Or they start this addiction recovery program because their wife or their husband or someone else is causing them to do this. you got to go do this. And you and I, he and I, would look at that person and immediately say, you're not in this for the right reason, and so therefore you're probably going to fail. And I, it's sometimes rough and tough for us to look at someone in their eyes and say that. But oftentimes, if you're not in it for actual change, if you're not in it, then what are you really doing this for? And the Lord asks the same questions to all of us. The Lord asks the question, if you're not really in this for forgiveness, if you're not truly sorry for what you're doing, and you're not willing to get down on your hands and knees and bow before the Lord and say, Lord, I have messed up. You are such an awesome God. And I have taken what you have given to me, and I have perverted it, I've changed it, I've done something that I shouldn't have done, and I apologize and I want to change. That's what true repentance is about. See, this word repentance is often thrown around in the church, but we often don't talk about that. Forgiveness of sin is one thing, repentance is a total different thing. Forgiveness of sin is the action that God has forgiven us. Repentance is that we are actually turning away from that sin and we're walking in a different direction. You can truly be forgiven. Is the door open, by the way? Um, either that or I'm preaching fire. One of the two. <laughs> maybe it's just maybe it's hot up here. Is it not hot down there? You guys cold? Oh, you're cold. Wow. The truth of the matter is, though, is that we have to get to this place where we change our heart and we get to the place. The reason why I'm spending so much time on this is because these people. To understand the rest of chapter 9 of Nehemiah, you have to understand what they're doing. They're at their core, they want to change. At their very core, they want to be different. At their very core, they're asking the Lord to place them in this new repentance of lifestyle. The world is full of people who are sorry, but very few who desire a change. people of Jerusalem are coming into the city at this time to position themselves in this place. They've separated themselves. One of the, one of the verses says, uh, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. 
they have stood before the Lord. The reason why this is important, where they talk about separating themselves from the foreigners, what they've done is that they are taking ownership of what they have done. They're not going to pass it on to someone else. They're not going to pass it on to another family. They're not going to pass it on to someone else. They are taking ownership of it themselves. I am owning my own sin. Too often we try to cast our sin off to someone else. Well, I only did that because they did this. I only did that because they responded in this way. No, the truth of the matter is is that your response is your action. That's your choice. You have sinned. It's not someone else that caused you to sin. You chose to sin. It's your choice. Boy, don't worry about it. I'm good. of rebuilding is very important. This idea of separating ourselves and getting in this place where we want to change is very important. We can't blame someone else for our actions. We can't blame someone else for what we've done. Adam and Eve, this uh, this past week in Bible study, we actually had this conversation um, and we were talking about this, but Adam and Eve sinned. They were the first sinners. They were the first ones. But today, we can't cast our sin upon Adam and Eve. It's your choice. You choose to follow that action. You choose. You choose to do that. Either there is something called a generational curse, a generational sin, if you will, something that gets passed on from one person to another. It often looks like my father always did this or my mother always did this. And so I look like this and I do that. That is something that happens very often today that is called a generational curse or a generational sin that gets passed on from family to family. And it does happen today. It's very true. That is active today. It is in many people's lives today. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you get to choose whether you're going to follow that and do that or not. You can't blame your parents for this. You can't blame someone else for that. You have to take ownership of your own actions and so therefore say, I chose to do this and so therefore I'm going to choose to ask the Lord for forgiveness at the same time. Verse 6 of Nehemiah chapter 9 says, You are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God, you choose Abraham and brought him out of the Ur of Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made him with made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of Canaanites, the Hittite and the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Girgashites. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. What the people are doing at this moment in time, what the people are acting forth at this time is they, they are thanking the Lord for what he has done for them. They're thanking him for these things. They've not only positioned themselves, they've not only separated themselves from the rest. They're saying, I'm taking ownership for what I've done. And so now my, my, my conversation with the Lord, my prayer life begins with, thank you for all that you have done. I once heard a, a very wise man say that if you wake up tomorrow with everything you thank the Lord for today, what would you have tomorrow? It's a great question to ask yourself. have a house? Would you have a car? Would you have family? Would you have dogs, cats, animals? Would you have food in the refrigerator? Would you have food in the cupboard? Would you have heat in your house? Would you have things that just are there that we take for granted? 
See, the problem with many Christians is that we take for granted the blessings that the Lord gives to us, and so therefore we forget to thank Him for all of those things. And our prayer life begins not about thanking the Lord and worshiping the Lord. Our prayer life begins, Lord, I need this, I need that, I need that. And we have this laundry list of things we need. Instead of going before him and truly worshiping him. The worship, the idea of worshiping the Lord, the idea of being before the Lord and and pouring our heart out to him, our ideas of giving and, and asking him for these blessings are because the Lord has given us so much. The reason why I love worship music so much, the reason why I love being in worship on Sunday morning with all of you, the reason why I love being in worship with, at that conference was because I have much to give thanks to the Lord for, and so therefore I should worship Him always. I should thank Him for the things I have. I should thank Him for all of the blessings that He has given to me. Yes, there are times that I have these innate needs that I need it right now, and I stand before the Lord and go, Lord, if you don't answer this prayer, I'm in trouble. Yes, there are times that I pray like that. But more often than not, our prayer life should begin by saying, Lord, you are holy, you are awesome, you are great, you are all of those things, you are the King of kings, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. But Lord, I just want to thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the blessings that you have given to me. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my job. Thank you for all of these things that you have given to us. And we pray and ask him for those things. I absolutely love Thanksgiving. I love the action of taking time to give thanks for everything we have. By the way, we should be, again, doing this daily, not just one time a year. But it changes your perspective. When you go before the Lord and you start complaining about all the things you don't have, you begin to get depressed. Have you ever noticed in life in general, if you just take a step back and say, man, Lord, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I had a, a new Jeep like Corey's. I wish I had a... <laughs> just kidding, Corey. I wish I had a four-wheeler. I wish I had this. I wish I had all of these. I wish I had as nice house as this person. I wish I had this. I wish I... And we get... What happens? Your heart begins to get very dark. And you're wishing of what you want. You begin to lust, if you will, after what someone else has. You know, look at what they have. Many marriages fail because we to wish our counterpart or our wife or our husband was something else instead of thanking the Lord for what our wife and husband is. Counseling, a lot of times I begin my marriage counseling with people just saying, I want you to look at each other eye to eye and I want you to thank them for what they are as a person. Tell them what you admire most out of them. The reason why we do this is because at our core of our heart we have to be thankful for what we have and not and get past this, I wish I had this or that or whatever it might be. The people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem are giving thanks to the Lord. They're thanking Him for all of these things. When we begin to see the blessing of what God has given to us, it changes us. Can you imagine, I think about this often, can you imagine our friends, uh, maybe brothers and sisters in Christ in Africa and their prayer life of thanking them compared to what we have. Lord, I live in a, in a mud and clay of dope that has you know, tree sticks on the roof uh, for a roof. Thank you, Lord, that for the first time this year you allowed it to rain. Thank you, Lord, that I was able to travel 30 miles to get water for this day. When you think about these types of things, if you compare your life and be thankful for what you have versus what someone else has, man, it changes, it 
reality of a lot of things. Years ago for our youth group, I used to do a 30-hour famine. The reason why we did 30-hour famines is because we wanted kids to, we wanted the kids to realize how blessed they were. And we would start a 30-hour famine, which maybe is a cool way of starting it, but we'd start a 30-hour famine by taking them to the grocery store and giving them $5. Here's $5. This is how much the average worldwide citizen lives on for one week. $5. And I tell them, go buy enough food to last you for one week. Now, a lot of times what would happen is that they would go and the very first place they'd go to is where? The meat, the meat department, right? And they'd look and they'd pick up a uh, pack of hamburger and they'd say, oh, the hamburger's four ninety five. That's great. It's under $5. So they'd bring this forward. I'd ask them, how many, how many dinners can you get out of one pack of hamburger? One, two, three, three. And so we would begin to teach them and, and, and eventually they started catching on. Well, I have to go get rice because rice is really cheap. I can get a big bag of rice and that'll last me for a long time. The reason why we did this is because we wanted to show and have them respect what they have and be thankful for what they have. Today, we all take for granted the thankfulness of the things that we have in our house. We're not one of those 25 families over there that have to ask a church for assistance. Many of us in our church today will have enough. We have somewhere to go on Thanksgiving. We have food our house will be able to serve, I think, giving dinner. But there are 25 families, and I think there are probably more, but only 25 who came forward. But don't have it. We should give thanks to what we have, thanks to Him for all of the things that He has blessed us with. We all have a reason to thank God for something in our life. I don't know what it is for you, but you all have a reason to thank God. It is said that if you have a roof over your head and you have heat in your house, and you have food in your in your refrigerator in your cupboard, you're better than 99% of the world's population today. Actually, 95%, sorry. 5% of them have way more than what we could ever dream of or think of. But just think about that. A roof over your head. I'm not even talking about a house. I'm talking about a roof over your house, over your head. So that could be a trailer. That could be a, uh, a house. It could be anything. You have heat inside there, and you have food, and you're, you're better than 95% of the world's population amazing to think we're richer than all of these people but yet we are a country we are a people that don't like to give thanks for what we have we're always looking for the next thing we're always looking for more we need to take a pause for a moment and thank the Lord for what he has this is what the Israelites were doing what we should do today as well Nehemiah chapter 16 but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments they refused. I have to go for him, Robert. Um, they refused. Verse nine, uh, chapter nine, verse sixteen to twenty-five. Next slide, please. Read that. They refuse. I can't read that from back there. There's too much on it. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you, our God, are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. What they are doing at this moment in time is that they have realized that they have done something wrong. They have realized that they have 
uh, even their fathers have sinned against them, even when even when they made had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and did not depart from them day, nor the pillar by fire by night to the light. For them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not... did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and people and allotted to them every corner so that they took possession of the land. Shalon, king of Hasperon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and you brought them into their land and that they had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with the kings of the people of the land that they might go to. And they captured fortified cities and rich land and took possessions of houses full of good, the things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees, abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. <laughs> really interesting because they are, are realizing what has happened. You know how I said before at the beginning of the sermon when I started to talk about they're just repeating? This action has repeated. What they're realizing is that the Lord has blessed their forefathers. The Lord has blessed what they've done. And so now they come to this place and here they are. They're in this place and they have found themselves But it's interesting because, see, they have positioned themselves before the Lord. They have thanked the Lord for what he has done. And now they are beginning to ask for forgiveness for things that their forefathers have done so that they don't make the same mistake. Today, you and I have to understand that we have an opportunity to seek forgiveness and repentance. The rest of chapter 9 is a cry out for sins. How many more iPads do we have, Corey? Oh, this is the same one. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, the rest of chapter 9 is a cry out uh, for forgiveness. It goes back and forth. They have someone over here on this side that's crying out for forgiveness. And then they have someone way over here that's thanking the Lord for the blessings they have. And they're crying out all day long, thanksgiving and forgiveness, thanksgiving and forgiveness, thanksgiving and forgiveness. And they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Why are they doing this? They're doing this because they want to position themselves before the Lord, but they also want to seek the forgiveness of what has happened to them. There is a truth of reality that you and I need to stand in the gap for our country. If you take a hard look at what's going on in our country today, and you look at all the things going on, we often ask ourselves, how do we change the country? How do we change 
the, the, the communities that we live in? How can we change what's going on in this culture of, uh, and I, I mean, let's be honest, whether you believe in this or not, I hope that you don't, but for me personally, I believe abortion is a sin. 30-some million babies over since abortion has become legal has been killed. There's a stain on our hands. There's a stain on our country for the life that was taken. We, as Christians, have been called not only to change our culture, to change the world, and we need to do what we can to do that, but we also need to stand in the gap and ask for forgiveness for what has happened. We need to stand because there's other people. These people who agree with this, who go forward with this, are not standing in the gap. They're not asking for forgiveness, but God calls us to stand in the gap. The part of our job is to stand up before and ask for forgiveness for our own country, for our own forefathers and what they have done. Israelites knew this and they stood before and they're asking the Lord to forgive not only them for what they have done but they have called and asked for forgiveness for the sins that have been passed on from family member to family member you're not only responsible for what we have done we are responsible for what we have done and that needs to be spoken every action that you do you are responsible for and you need to seek Lord for forgiveness if you have an action that has caused a sin against him. But we are also responsible for standing in the gap for our country and for those that don't know to stand in the gap. It hurts my heart to think about politicians who are making laws that say it's okay to abort a baby all the way up to nine months before the baby is born or even all the way up to the point that the baby is born. I can't fathom that in my mind and it hurts my heart to believe that and to understand that our country does that. But I also understand that they're not following Christ. So they don't know a difference. And so I can be angry with them and I can I can say what I want to say and do all of those things, but at the end of the day, my only recourse is really to stand in the gap for our country and say, Lord, you have to change them. You have to change their hearts, not us. And so our job is to stand before and pray and ask the Lord to forgive our, us Forgive our country, forgive the people of our country, but also then to ask him to change their hearts. Yeah, I can stand up here, you know, we talked about, Pastor Chaz and I were talking about this earlier today, we can stand up here and talk about discipleship, we can talk about change in the community, we can talk about all of these things, but the only way our community is really going to change is by each and every one of us sitting in this room, listening to this message, is for us to change our own hearts. And then to pass that on to someone else so that they can change their hearts and that they can then pass it on to someone else and they can change their heart. That's how this thing changes. There's no program that we can put in place that's going to change this community or change our country except for putting Christ in someone's heart. This is what they understood. This is what the Israelites understood. And so they're asking the Lord to forgive them. They're asking the Lord to change their hearts so that it can change their ways. They can move forward seeking Him. Rebuilding started with people. Started the rebuilding of people started by them positioning themselves in the right mindset, knowing they need God's forgiveness, and then asking for forgiveness for the things they had done and the sins of their past generations. They've asked not only for their own forgiveness, but they've stood in the gap and done that too. We should be doing that as a church. We should be doing that as people. Standing in the gap for those that can't stand in their own gap. 
understanding of the past and seeing God move is very important. In the midst of the day of today, we forget that God is making a way. Hindsight is true. You know, I, I, I'm going to call you out a little bit, Pat, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Pat and I have this conversation all the time. Hindsight is 2020. It really is. We can look back, and, and this is not just Pat, by the way. I, I do this often. We, we have this conversation back and forth. That's why I'm calling him out. But oftentimes we'll sit down and we'll talk around and say, you know, I'm asking the Lord for something right now. I want the Lord to move in my life right now. I want to see it change right now. And I feel like I'm not seeing the Lord move. I feel like he's not changing things. I feel like it's not happening. But when I turn back and I look back and I start to look at my past, I can say, oh, the Lord moved here in my life. The Lord moved here in my life. The Lord moved here in my life. See, he is moving in our life. And hindsight is 2020, but we have to remember today that God is going to make a way, and we just have to seek that way. The Israelites, God made a way for the Israelites to rebuild the wall in 52 days. And then they begin to rebuild themselves. My question for us today that I really want us to go drive home inside our heart is that it's easy to rebuild a wall. It's easy to rebuild gates. It's just wood, it's just rock, it's just cement. It's easy to do that. It doesn't take long to do that. Even your pastor can build a wall out of brick. Right? We did it. Right? We did it. We built, we built walls out of brick. I know how to do that. Doesn't take a doesn't take a rocket science if a pastor can build a brick wall, let me tell you. But it takes God to rebuild people. It takes God to work at the core of your heart to get to you and say, listen, I need I need to seek his forgiveness. I need to be before him and ask him to change. God's calling you and I to rebuild the city. God's calling you and I to rebuild a community. God is calling us to rebuild the church. God's calling us to do all of these things. But it starts with us. It starts with us being rebuilt. The city of Jerusalem wasn't a great city. It wasn't an awesome city until the walls were rebuilt. But it did, just because the walls were, were, were rebuilt, that was easy to say, just because the walls were, were rebuilt, it wasn't a great city until the people were rebuilt. I agree. That's right. Amen. Thank you. Today, we have to ask ourselves this simple question. How far are you willing to go to rebuild your own life? How far are you willing to walk in this path to see the city around you rebuilt? How far are you willing to go to see your family rebuilt? How far are you willing to go to see your Christian life rebuilt? How far are you willing to go? Because what God calls us to do, God wants to rebuild us, but in order to re be rebuilt, guess what happens? You have to tear down the old. There's a reason why in America's greatest makeover, whatever that show was, there's a reason why they tore the house down first and then build a new house on top of it. You know why? It's easier to, it's easier to build a new house than it is to rebuild an old one. Anyone that has an old house would say amen because they do that. God is calling you and I to rebuild our lives. He's calling us to rebuild the city. He's calling us to do that. But we have to tear down the walls that we have constructed that don't need to be there. And we have to construct the good walls that need to be there. The Lord puts these things 
He puts us in this place. We have to position ourselves in sackcloth and ashes before the Lord, and we just have to cry out to Him, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for what I've done. I am going to pay the price of repentance. I don't care what other people will say and draw me over here. I'm going to turn away from that sin, and I'm going to walk the other direction. I'm going to thank you for the things that I have, and I'm going to remember the amazing blessings that you've given to me, the blessings of family, the blessings of all of these things that we have in our lives. I'm going to, I'm going to just speak out and say, thank you, Lord, for blessing me in the way that you have. Sounds weird, but I have a 16-year-old golden retriever. And I took my golden retriever to the vet. I'm, I'm almost done, Corey. I'm adding something, but I'm almost done. I took my golden retriever to the vet. And the vet looked at me and she said, How old is this dog? And I said, 16. Golden retrievers don't live that long. I said, Yeah, they do. So when you, when you pray to ask the Lord to bless your dog and you're thankful for the blessing that the Lord has given you through that dog, the dog will last that long. Because she opens up his mouth and he has really stinky breath, by the way. So she opens up his mouth and she goes, whoa, well, maybe he is that old because his breath stinks. He looked at his teeth and said, yeah, he is. He is. I would say that he's around 16 years old. Because it's a blessing that you have this dog still. Enjoy the blessing that you have because not promised another day. And I said, either am I. But I'm going to thank God for every day I have. I believe today that Nick, my golden retriever, I have him because we give thanks every day for him. I thank the Lord. It may sound really weird, but I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm praying my prayers. I see him before the Lord and I say, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful creature. Thank you for this dog that I can have in my life. Of course, I also thank you for my wife and my kids, my son-in-law, and everyone else too. Don't worry, Becca and Robert. I don't leave you guys out, okay? Rank above the dog, I promise you. <laughs> Corey says just barely. I didn't say that. Corey said that. But when we learn today, I mean, yes, it's Thanksgiving, and it's easy to have this message today and say this, but the truth, the truth and the reality of all things are is that the Lord wants us to be thankful for what we have. Not seeking what we don't have, but to be thankful for what we have. That doesn't mean we can't desire. It doesn't mean that we don't have desires of our hearts. It just means that we position ourselves before the Lord and say, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the blessings of the life that you have blessed me with. In that process, we position ourselves. When we begin to thank Him for those blessings, and we see how much He's blessed us with, and how much He's worthy of those blessings, then the sin that we have in our life becomes atrocious to us. It becomes something that we want to get rid of. How can I be sinful and, and want something, desire something that's evil, when I have just asked the Lord for the blessings and thank Him for the blessings that He's given to us? His blessings are way better than any sinful thing that we can ever want, by the way. Nehemiah truly was and is a story about rebuilding the people. Nehemiah prayed, Nehemiah planned, and then Nehemiah built not only the wall, but he rebuilt the people. But the sad reality of Nehemiah is that the city was destroyed again. This 
rebuilding of the wall that Nehemiah does, this work that he does and the rebuilding of the people, eventually the people walked away from the Lord again and eventually the city was destroyed. And we'll see the temple rebuilt again when Christ comes back. And man, when you see when you see them start talking about the temple being rebuilt, you want to know a date and you want to know a time when Revelation's in place, that's a great sign when that temple starting to be rebuilt. And by the way, today in Jerusalem, there are men, Levites, by the way, priests, who are training, who are keeping themselves pure of all things so that they can start casting the first stone of the new temple to be built. I share all of that because we as people seem to have this pull towards what we shouldn't be doing. If you're in this moment right now, whether you're here in this building, you're watching online, here in this moment right now, we need to seek the forgiveness of the Lord and we need to thank Him for the blessings that we have. We need to, at this moment in time, look up towards Him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinful man to be specific about those sins. We need to be specific about asking them for forgiveness of everything that we've done. But then we also need to take a step back and say, Lord, you have blessed me more than what I deserve. To look at all of you in this room, to think about the things I have at my home, to think about the blessings of a grandchild coming soon, to think about animals that I have in my house, heat that I have, that I can go home and it's going to be a relatively warm house. You know, as warm as my wife wants it, but warmer than is being outside. Blessing. Thank you for those blessings. Lord, we just want to come before you today in this posture of rebuilding, Lord. We are a people that want to rebuild our city. We are a people that want to rebuild our culture. We are a people that want to rebuild this earth in the kingdom for the kingdom of God. But it starts with us internally, Father. It starts with each one of us separately. And so we want to stand before you today, Father, with our hands lifted high, or our hands folded, or wherever we want to put them, with our, our hearts open to you, and asking you to forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of those things that have kept us falling short of what you've asked us to do. Keep us free from those, from those sins, Father. Help us to overcome those things in our life. We stand before you not as sackcloth and ashes, but we stand before you in a posture of repentance and a posture of asking you to deal with these things of our hearts. Help us to become the people that you've called us to be. Most importantly, Lord, we stand before you, our people, thankful with gratitude and blessings beyond what we could ever receive because you have blessed us over and over and over more than what we could ever deserve. So Lord, I pray to you today each person in this room, that they would just be coming to a place of posturing themselves, putting themselves in that position before you where they can ask you for forgiveness and they can thank you for the blessings that you have provided for them. Lord, I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. I thank you for Nehemiah's life and what it means and what it has been given to us. Help us today, Lord, to see this book, not, not in just a story of rebuilding a wall, but how the people of Jerusalem were rebuilt. Lord, we love you. We don't deserve you, but you give us your grace and mercy anyway. So, Lord, I pray, even as we are here today, if there's someone in this room that has never given their life to Christ before, has never asked you into their heart, maybe they don't even know that they're sinful, then today, Lord, I pray that you just speak to their hearts and show them how much you, they need you. 
we follow what Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart for what he has done, then we can have everlasting eternal life with him. And so today in this room, if you're here today and you're asking yourself, am I a sinful person? The answer is yes. And then you're asking yourself, how do I ask that forgiveness? That forgiveness comes by seeking the Lord, seeking someone who is greater than you, that has blessed you, even without you even knowing that he's blessed you. And you just seek him and say, I confess with my mouth that I am a sinner. And I believe in my heart that you have done an amazing thing. Well, help me today, Lord. Father, lead us and guide us. Help us to be thankful for all that we have. Help us to worship you like only you deserve to be worshipped. Follow you everywhere we go. Glorify you. We honor you. We praise you now. Are you hurting, broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink? From the well, Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Welcome to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No truer words were ever spoken. Today, before you leave, 
but I ask you that you would allow the Lord to work in your hearts. Allow Him to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and say, this is what you need to come to realization. This is where you need to come to this place. This is what you've been hanging on to that you need to let go. This is what you have been doing that you need to stop doing. And then you need to stop and you need to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing those things. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just have your way in this place today. That you would be searching the hearts of each and every single one of us. And if not here during this church service and on the way home or when they get home, speak to their hearts, Holy Spirit. Show them a posture of forgiveness. The posture of placing themselves before you to allow you to do the work inside of them that needs to be done. And then let us speak blessings and thankfulness to you, Father, for all that you have given to me, given to us. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you for what you will do. Thank you for how you're blessing us. Move in our lives today and help us to change our community by first changing us. If the change start here inside of us, that we can go and change the world around us. Love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Receive the blessings that you have given to us today and every day. Glorify you now, Jesus, my precious holy name. Amen and amen. Before you head off, just a couple things. What's that? You're good, okay. Uh, I was going to ask you to stick around and help us load bags, but we're good over there. But if you could help us do one other thing. We are without some of our key helpers and tearing down, so if you can help us just back chair and put them up on the stage, that would be wonderful. I really appreciate it. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll see you again next week.